0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.
1: The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount. What
2: we'll brings you to the show?
1: Opportunity. Everybody get
2: down! Walk right up to the sun.
1: A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com The shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.
0: Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. It's another all-hands-on-deck kind of day here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Daniel Gallon, Mark Brennan will be with me in just a moment. A little bit later, we'll have Tyler Calvaruso, our resident recruiting expert, to break down the budding whiteout list for Penn State. A lot of recruiting opportunity, always involved with this whiteout matchup, which is Saturday, 7.30, primetime, top 25 showdown against Iowa. So it has all the ingredients of what will draw recruits and their families to campus They'll be coming in bunches. They'll be coming from within the region. We've got some long-distance travelers to talk about. We'll peel back the curtain list a little bit later with Tyler Cavarou. So if you don't want to wait until then, head over to lines 247com 30% off annual uh, subscription, $1 for one. If you want to take a peek, it's a great month to do it. It's a great time to start taking that peek, too, because this wait-out list is pretty serious, and we're only at Monday. It will continue to grow. We'll have plenty of coverage on the recruiting end of things this week, but... Naturally, it's a big matchup in the Big Ten. We just saw Penn State make their conference debut for the 2023 season. Daniel Gallen joined me from Memorial Stadium uh, on Saturday late afternoon following that matchup. Appreciated his effort to find a quiet space in the stadium. Uh, we broke that down things for about 45 minutes with our post-game podcast on Saturday. As always, we come back to you on a Monday for a longer look at the most recent matchup, and we'll get into the next uh, contest a little bit more on Tuesday. David Eichholt, who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes, will be on the show with us. We'll be fresh out of a Beaver Stadium, where we'll hear from James Franklin for his press conference. But let's put a little more focus back on that 30-13 to victory for Penn State, bringing on Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen. The Nittany Lions are back in Happy Valley. You guys are back in Happy Valley. I hope travel went pretty smoothly. And Mark, as always on Mondays, I think we want to begin with you because we don't hear from you coming out of the game. General takeaways now that you've had, I guess, about 48 hours or so to digest what you witnessed out in Champaign.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of us went into that game thinking it was going to unfold in a certain way, and I know I did having seen Illinois against Kansas and the way Kansas just kind of picked that defense apart, I really thought the Penn state defense was going to be able to do that against Illinois. And you know, it didn't and give Brett Bielema credit. He, I think he threw some things at at Drew Aller that uh, maybe confused him a little bit. Uh, But the thing I liked, and I think this is the sign of a good team is it was complimentary football. So, so the, the, the offense, it took a while to get clicking Meanwhile, the defense just absolutely turned it on. I mean, after some poor tackling early to come through with five turnovers and, you know, really bail out the offense to a certain extent, I think was just really impressive. And I think that's the sign of a good team because throughout the season, you're going to have these ebbs and flows on both sides of the ball. And we've seen games like that where the offense has struggled And then the defense just plays its regular game and maybe doesn't force those turnovers and it becomes more of a, you know, death fight until the very end. This wasn't that. I mean, they still escaped from that game. Escaped isn't even the right word. They still got out of that game. Being able to play a lot of backups in the fourth quarter, which I think a lot of us thought they were going to be able to do. And just in really good shape. So I also thought, you know, and I know we'll get into it a little bit earlier or a little bit later, excuse me, when we talk specifically about the offense. But I think that was a good growing experience, a good learning experience for Drew Aller. Because what did he do? He, he, he didn't win you the game, but he didn't lose you the game when things were going wrong. And we've seen this Penn State team over the last few years enough that when a quarterback tries to force things, we've seen quarterbacks lose games like that and he didn't no turnovers continues to have no turnovers for the season kept his calm uh, never got rattled, and and that really stood out to me. So I think, again, complimentary football during the course of the season, you're going to need different areas to step up. I thought the special teams showed some good things, some not so good things, uh, but 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 they got some of those hidden yards from the return game that we hadn't seen until now. So all those little things I think ended up being really good for Penn State as you look at it big picture. Yes, I know during the game people were frustrated by by certain aspects. I kind of gathered that from our in-game thread and people were getting a little riled up about stuff. Completely understandable because, you know, you love watching the game, you're having fun and and it does go up and down. But at the end of the day, I think anybody who takes a step back from that performance, that's what a good team does. It's not completely on, but it still wins relatively easily.
0: And it speaks about where the expectations are for this team. Daniel and I discussed it a little bit in post-game, Mark, just the fact that Whoever they're playing, they're not just playing Illinois. They're not just playing West Virginia or Delaware or UMass down the road. They're also being measured up against Michigan and Ohio State. What's okay? What's Michigan doing this Saturday? What's Ohio? How how good do they look? Are their stars shining? Are are they handling their business with authority? What's going on? Because and maybe in some ways you're being mentioned. You know. Measured up against the '94 team uh, here at Penn State. I mean, people are expecting perfection because of the way this team has been discussed a lot in the preseason because of what they saw from Drew Aller early. Um, and like, ultimately, you didn't get perfection, uh, but you got a, a what would Jane Franklin would call an imperfectly pretty uh, Big Ten road win. And and Daniel, let's jump into some of the details now because. The defense was at the spearhead of this entire effort. It was a, a five-takeaway performance. The, the defensive backfield did the heavy lifting there. But we saw the defensive line showcase its depth in a way that, that we had wondered if we would. Uh, and 10 different defensive linemen were involved. All of them were at 20-plus snaps. And two of them, Amin Vanover at defensive end, Kozai Izzard, a defensive tackle, made their debut after a two-game absence to start the year. This is what we've all pointed to as a potential strength for this team. This is the kind of matchup that you hoped you could lean on it. And they went deep. They rotated guys. that They kept players relatively fresh. Um, And at the end of the day, I know there were some dicey moments on that opening possession for Illinois, but they kept this ground game bottled up. They forced Luke Altmaier to, to try to be Superman, and we all saw how that turned out.
3: Yeah, I I think that that's kind of what you wanted to see from this defense. Um, We know what Brett Bielema has done against Penn State in the past with really pounding away and and trying to win the game on the ground. So, excuse me, the fact that they were able to take that away, make Illinois one-dimensional, and then take advantage of that, I think that that's something that's a a lesson, something you can take away from this that can really help down the road with some of these teams that you're playing and, and some of the talent that they have if you can force them into one area. I mean, I think that the way that Penn State is built uh, in terms of the defensive ends and the secondary, if they can for if they can take away the run and force teams to try to beat them through the air, they're in a really, really good spot. And I think we saw a really good example of that with the performance against Luke Altmeyer on Saturday. Um, but you know, as a whole, I think being at or near full strength on this defensive line, being able to rotate 10 players, you know, to put some of these younger guys in that, you know, we've been hearing about, uh, especially on the interior, you know, someone like I think Jordan Vandenberg being in the rotation. Um, you know, I think that's a positive for how things are developing. Um, you know, like you said, the the measuring sticks that Penn State is going up against, you know, especially with the defense, I think more than anything, it's, you know, in terms of comparing Penn State and being like, all right, how's this going to look against Michigan? How's this going to look against Ohio State? I think the defensive front against Michigan is maybe the number one thing that comes into people's heads when they watch a game like this and when they do those comparisons. So I think that there is some stuff to clean up, you know, the way that Manny Diaz runs his defense, the linebackers factor in a lot to the success of the guys in front of them. Um, And, you know, there's probably a lot to clean up. But I think the fact that Illinois was able to move the ball early, but then after that, they were really Penn State kind of found its footing a little bit and was able to shut them down for the most part, I think bodes well for the Nittany Lions.
0: Yeah, Illinois finished with 62 total rushing yards for the day. Huge, huge stark contrast to what we saw play out in Beaver Stadium a couple years ago. And and just – I thought it was really interesting, the defensive tackle snap distribution. We'll have our our snap counts piece and and, and analysis on 247.com here on Monday. So check that out. But uh, according to Pro Football Focus, who tracks these things, uh, Zane Durant and Akeem Beeman, the starters, were at 31 and 28 snaps respectively. But you had Koziah Izzard in game one at 29 snaps. Jordan Vandenberg, who Daniel referenced there at 29 snaps, Devon Ellis at 28 snaps. I mean, it was a group effort, Uh, essentially everybody carrying a a similar load by the time you get through 100% of this game. So Izzard steps in with a, with a key role. Vanover is playing in that reserve role that we expected. It seems to be full go right out the gates. And then, of course, Daquan Hardy jumps in and goes almost 40 snaps. And, Mark, we spent time discussing Daquan Hardy's return, what it meant for the entire defensive backfield for Cam Miller, for Johnny Dixon, etc. But you just got to tip your cap to this guy because uh, he, he didn't miss a stride. And, and obviously what we heard about behind the scenes didn't get into why he missed the action but it told the story of a guy who was right there being Daquan Hardy, despite not playing those first 120 minutes of football. He comes away with an interception and he just asserts himself right into the secondary. He obviously is going to have a key role for this team.
1: Yeah. I have to tip my cap to Daniel. Cause we're sitting in the press box and he said, uh, look, Hardy's playing an outside corner spot. And literally on that play, he intercepted the pass. And I looked at Dan; I was like, what? That was unbelievable. But you know what? It speaks to something bigger is that, that kid, there's something to him. There's an energy to that kid. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I think they still would have had turnovers, but I don't think it's a coincidence that they go on that turnover spree the day that that, that he comes back because they play him all over the place. He still played slot. He still played nickel. He still did a bunch of different things. And I just think he's got kind of an attitude and energy, all of those things that he's willing to do whatever it takes. And I think that's just infectious. And to get him back into that secondary, and I think that's why when when you looked at, uh, you know, how much of the nickel and diamond prowler that they played, he really is a big part of that. And that's not to that's not to downplay Johnny Dixon, who was also a, a huge part of that. And the safeties because they have so many safeties who could do so many things. And and uh, Kalen King, who obviously, you know, you're, you're going to leave people out when you say that. But I just think that he's the one guy who kind of just does everything and you could put him in so many spots and he has that energy and it was really, really important uh, to get him back. You know, he is one of those kind of linchpin guys over there. You know, not the biggest guy, but what have we heard about him from the time he was recruited? You know, he, he's a winner. He, he does things in a clutch. He makes plays when plays need to be made. And we started to see that in that Illinois game. And I also loved what Diaz did. I mean, uh, Barry Looney, I think is how you pronounce it, the offensive coordinator for Illinois. I just think he coached circles around him. I mean, you had a quarterback who was completely out of whack, and they were able to pressure him just enough to force him into these throws and have all those playmaking DBs back there and those specialty packages And they just made plays, not to take away from Abdul Carter, who made a play, uh, you know, Dom DeLuca with another hit, making making a big play. But but you see who the playmakers on this defense are and they're in that secondary. And if you're going to give Manny Diaz the opportunity to unleash all of those guys on you, you, you are going to be in a world of hurt if you can't run the ball against this team, you're not going to beat this team. I'm just telling you right now. And that's why this this game coming up against Iowa, the Michigan game coming up a little later, those are going to be the huge challenges. We thought we were going to see that from Illinois because we saw it a couple years ago, but they just didn't have what it
0: took. You think Cade McNamara is going to provide a, a steadier presence at quarterback than what they faced in Altmaier, who's a young quarterback, just transferred to that program this year. But still, we know what Iowa football is about in that matchup. They're going to want to establish themselves on the ground. And thus far, Manny Diaz's defense answering that call. I thought it was interesting because when you envision what the matchup versus Illinois might look like if you were to hold them to under 70 rushing yards, you're probably thinking a lot of big bodies out there stacking up linebackers and defensive linemen as much as you possibly can. They predominantly went with two, two and a half linebackers over the course of this game. They had Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs going 50 plus snaps and, and we've kind of come to expect them as being mainstays there, but with all the defensive backs they were using in this matchup, Kobe King played about half of the snaps of those two fellow starters. And Dominic DeLuca was out there a bunch. Uh, so, so Daniel, maybe not the, the linebacker toll that we thought w- w- would maybe be required in this game. You and I both put a spotlight on Kobe King and said, he's going to have to muscle up and show what he's about. Turned out that wasn't really the case in in this game plan with that defensive back, the way they implemented things. But DeLuca now 30 plus snaps in both of the the normal uh, FBS opponent situations this year. Uh, He's well on his way toward uh, surpassing that 200 snap total that he posted last year by maybe midseason. Again, gets uh, himself involved with a forced fumble. You saw Tony Rojas out there quite a bit. We saw Keon Wiley out there more than Tyler Elsden for a second straight week. This room feels like it has the most opportunity to maneuver and maybe evolve between now and when they get into to late October, out of any group on the defensive field. I feel
3: like. Yeah, I think to start with with Kobe King, you know, he was someone that you know we that I thought that we would see a lot of, and that he would be put in some you know pretty tough situations, uh, you know, in terms of the running game. But I think Hardy coming back had something to do with that, where when they went into the nickel package. Uh, King was the one who came on, came off, uh, leaving Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs as the two linebackers. You know, we ha- I don't think we saw but maybe a handful of nickel snaps like that uh, during the first two games of the year, which I think speaks to Hardy's role um, and his impact there. And then I think, you know, getting DeLuca onto the field, you know, he's someone where we've talked about his athleticism, um, you know, his his ability to play out in space a little bit as that Sam um, and I think by putting him out there, you know, with Curtis Jacobs uh, and Abdul Carter, you have a lot of athleticism there. I think you have some decent speed and you have guys that make plays. Um, I, I think that, you know, DeLuca coming in with that forced fumble uh, in a big spot, you know, we've seen what Abdul Carter can do. Um, and he had the interception and then Curtis Jacobs is someone who can, you know, really be all over the place uh, over the course of a game. So I think having Deluca out there as the third linebacker, um, you know, it it tweaks some stuff around. You know, when he's out there, it's not just in a second team type situation where you're rotating guys through. I think that he's someone that they see a really distinct role for. So I am very curious to see what this looks like moving forward. I think the note about Keon Wiley snaps compared to Tyler Elsdon's uh, is really interesting. Um, in in terms of getting Wiley on the field as a redshirt freshman someone who's had to do a lot of physical development um, since he got to state college so you know it's a group that has a lot of eyes on it and I think it's something where I thought that you know going into the year in terms of the two deep and where guys were playing I thought we had a pretty good handle on it based off of what we saw last year um, and and what we saw during camp but I think it really does speak to Manny Diaz's willingness to be flexible, mix and match his personnel a little bit, put different groups out there. Um, And I think DeLuca is the type of player that can maybe force you to move things around a little bit.
0: And you got a couple of young guys, blue-chip prospects, who did the trip out to Illinois, stuck around campus. But that will be monitoring. And Tamia Robinson, KV on Keys, as this year progresses. Physically, they're starting to look like they're where they, they need to be. They played against Delaware. DeLuca, though, what he's, what he's done this year, a sack against West Virginia, a pick-six against, pick against Delaware, uh, and then a forced fumble against Illinois, tying for the team lead in tackles. And, oh, by the way, he's serving as a special teams captain, wearing that number zero. Redshirt freshman, former walk-on, now a certified two-deep guy on defense. That's, That's for sure. Maybe even more than that as his role continues to grow. Uh, Mark, I, I think I just wanted to get a little bit of housekeeping done on, on those travel notes. Uh, Caleb Martin and Ty Planning were, were reserved defensive tackles that were brought out to, to Illinois. Uh, they didn't enter the game. Jamil Lyons, for the first time this year, did not get some defensive snaps, but he was present with the team. So that kind of falls more into that yellow light category that James Franklin
3: discussed. He entered the first I, I will say with Artis, Artis played yeah. on special teams. Uh, Artis okay, got the, on special on teams. On the field goal team. So And he was questionable on the pregame availability report but we saw him warm up and he's a member of that uh, field goal protection team right now
1: we also Good saw day. him wearing a mask walking into the stadium so i wonder what why he was questionable
0: <laughs> uh, i'll give daniel credit for that one and also give daniel credit for pointing out that ty blanding w- was on the field with this team during pre-game warm-up, warm-ups of I'll Give daniel and, credit that's, that's, that's <laughs> that, was, me.
3: that was all Mar- that was all brandon yeah. oh
0: that was He's, mark on 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 blanding okay because blanding was not on penn state's official travel <laughs> roster so i apologize thank no, you okay, Mark. And, thank sure, you, in daniel. all seriousness
1: yeah. uh, i just want to explain that because it, we it's not about the credit it, it what what happened was Uh, I was recording the Brennan camp coming in and and Blanding is kind of a unique looking dude with the the hair that kind of sticks up almost Don King style and a little lighter up top. And I thought I saw him. And then when we saw that he wasn't on the list, I went back and checked the Brennan camp. So at that point, Daniel was checking the field and saw him. And then I go back and check Brennan camp and then we coordinate. I, I don't know that anybody else would care because frankly, we knew he wasn't going to play. But if you're going to get the details right, you might as well get the details right. And and I'm glad that we were able to do that. So it turned out that they had uh, Townley on the travel roster. And this wasn't anything where anybody was trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. These travel rosters are probably made on Fridays or Thursday night or whatever. And who knows what could come up? You know, A kid might not be feeling well. They may have a late change of heart. So that's nothing. Don't be critical of anybody for that. But it was, just, uh, it was just one of those little, little things that changed. But Daniel
3: did find the other one, didn't you? Who was the other kid who? Mason Stahl was there, uh, the, the walk-on wide receiver who, was on, who played special teams. Um, and I think that we figured out that Tyrese Mills uh, was on the travel roster, but not there. And we saw Stahl in his spot, actually, I think, uh, on the kickoff coverage team.
0: A collaborative effort. I was back here in Happy Valley correcting my uh, my freshman who traveled to, to, to Illinois headline from 9 to 10 because there were 10 freshmen involved there. Um, by the way, just speaking of freshmen, Zion Tracy, over a dozen snaps for the third consecutive game at cornerback. Clearly a guy who's earned a role on the football field. King Mack nearing 20 snaps for the second consecutive week at safety. Someone that James Franklin spoke very highly of at his press conference last week. And Elliott Washington also getting involved at cornerback. All. Three three of those players uh, pathways to the field on special teams. To, uh, let's jump over to the offense. We spent a lot of time here on the defense. I think that was deserved. Um, uh, we spent a lot of time on the offense in the post game show because in post game show, I feel like we tend to nitpick a little bit more. We tend to go with the raw emotion. And, and the raw emotion when you were surveying Penn State fans was about the offense on Saturday, Mark. Uh, a lot of that was about the inability to find any kind of balance. It wasn't just that they got one facet going and then well, the other couldn't. It was they couldn't run the football for about three quarters or almost three quarters. Uh, Drew Aller was never really able to slice and dice in any kind of form like we saw the first couple of weeks. He ended up just below a 50 percent passing on the day, just over 200 yards, throwing uh, no touchdowns, but no turnovers. And, you know, James Franklin called it a pretty win. And I I think in some ways he was also called Drew Aller's performance pretty because there was no turnovers and there weren't a lot of, uh, you know, uh, don't do that Drew moments. Yeah, I'll go back
1: to. I touched on it a little bit earlier, but again, I mean, I, he he didn't win a game, but he didn't lose the game. And listen, the, the, some of the receivers didn't do him any favors either. I mean, Malik McLean gets an opportunity to start uh, because Trey Wallace had is bumped up, and uh, you know drops the the second pass of the game that Allard throws right to him. And and drops it, and then early in the third quarter, you're able to kind of you're trying to 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 get things going, coming out with the ball in the third quarter, and he same thing. I mean, just a a gimme pass uh, that he doesn't catch. So you look at Aller's number, sixteen to thirty three. You know, that's at least a couple more. You know, they wouldn't have been for 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 big yardage. I was a little surprised with the offense that they didn't take more deep shots. And again, I, I think it's clear now that they're erring on the side of caution. You know, there was one play uh, where Keandre Lambert-Smith was wide open down the sideline. And for some reason, Aller's eyes just didn't go there, you know. And listen, it's easy for us in the press box to see it. It's easy for people on TV to see it. When you have that Nelson kid and all these other people running at you, I'm not saying that's an easy thing, but that's a play that he's going to make as he gets more comfortable. And but I just think it shows you that uh, that play to me was kind of a microcosm that, I think they are focusing more on those short and, uh, short and intermediate zones, and uh, that's why that's one of the reasons why they're not really turning the ball over. We had that stat going into this game where they had one pass that covered more than twenty yards, and the Illinois uh, in, in the first two games, and that was the long touchdown catch and run to Keandre Lambert Smith. And I don't know that there was more than one in this game. I, the, the Illinois stats are a little different but the, the 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 long pass relatively long pass to Liam Clifford traveled more than 20 but I'm not sure there were many more that traveled more than 20 yards in the air so to me they're kind of playing it safe with Drew Aller and I just wonder at what point they're going to feel the need to just let it rip a little bit I'm not suggesting that they should do it you know just rely solely on that uh, because clearly it's been effective what they're doing has been effective and I think he's, even though that was uh, a difficult game i think he's still progressing and progressing and progressing so no need to necessarily mess w- with a good thing but i think at some point along the line they're going to catch some people with some
0: deep balls
1: i mean it's going to happen cuz he can't throw it long
0: penn state was dealing with one of the best individual defensive line performances that you'll probably find in the big 10 this entire year and it, and it happened very early in the season by johnny newton and newton, and, yeah, I'm sorry, and not nelson and And I don't want to shortchange the rest of the the Illinois front seven, particularly the defensive line, which brought it that day. But Newton was a virtuoso in what he was able to do on the field. I think you talked to a lot of people on both sides of the ball. They'll tell you that uh, about the, the 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 Illinois defensive linemen. Uh, but overall, um, I think the story for this Penn State offensive line was, you know, they kind of rolled up their sleeves and said, let's let our lead guys go to work. Daniel, that meant Olu Fashinu didn't come to the sideline much. That meant Hunter Norzad didn't come to the sideline much until late. Uh, we saw Sal Wormley essentially not leave the field. Uh, and we, we did see Drew Shelton get involved. Uh, we saw Vega Ioane play a bunch of football. and I, I think he continues to look more and more comfortable does the OI in his role. And uh, what did you make of this collaborative effort by the offensive line, which which went seven deep for the most part. Nick Dawkins, Dominic got involved later when this game was out of hand. We thought they would start to really tighten things up. That's what they did. They front-loaded a lot of their starters for the first time this year. Um, and naturally, you're going up against a guy like Newton. That's a tough day's uh, uh, work. But what did you make of the end result?
3: Yeah, I think that this really showed how the the offensive line is going to look in competitive games this year. Um, you know, I know that there is some you know kind of talk about you know what what's going on with Olu. You know, seeing him over on the the sideline and you know talking about keeping him on that quote unquote pitch count. But you know, last week James Franklin said that it's in games, it's it's situational how long he plays, and this was a situation where you needed your you know All American left tackle in the game for you know, as, as much as you, as much as you could. Um, So I think that this is what it's going to look like, um, you know, in action when, when things get going, you know, you've got going seven deep um, I think is probably, you know, where you want it. And I think that, you know, Drew Shelton and Vanga Ioane can play and have shown they can play. So, and I feel like James Franklin feels like they deserve to play. Um, And so I think you'll continue to see them at different spots. I mean, you know, those interior linemen really did have their hands full with Newton um, over the course of Saturday. Um, it's going to be hard to see, I think, a similar performance uh, by someone like that again this year. Um, but I think that you know, this offensive line that you saw on Saturday is going to be the one that you know we're really seeing moving forward, you know, barring any injuries. Um, and I think that, you know, it's probably what James Franklin wanted, that they got out of the game with the win, but they come with lots of things to improve on. You know, lots of coaching points. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, I, I think that's just in a good spot right now. I think that seeing this offensive line over the course of playing you know, more than three quarters together, getting a better idea of the rotations, I think we know kind of what Penn State has right now.
0: I think what I like is they've only given up two sacks on the season. Uh, they've, they've been in scramble mode. They, they, Olu played 50% of the snaps the first couple of weeks. They were getting a long look at a lot of different guys. You had two quarterbacks getting extended looks. And the guy that's starting, you really want to make him feel comfortable and you know work his way into some momentum. As a as a college quarterback, and you be able to do that, I think. Drew Drew Aller has taken some shots that aren't reflected on the sack sheet. But I think overall, especially this game against Illinois, I wondered there were moments where, where Aller started to look more like a kid, you know, which you can expect at his age with his lack of experience, he looked in command the first two home games with the way he was doing things, but it never really teetered on the brink of him losing his, you know, control as the orchestrator of this offense, the conductor. Whereas you saw on the other side of the field, the guy in Luke Altmaier who's been in college football longer. Not the, the prospect pedigree, but you know Lane Giffen recruited him to Ole Miss, relatively inexperienced. And you saw what happened when the when the wheels started to slide off the track. Drew Aller's got a lot more of a supporting cast to back him up in Big Ten play than does Altmaier. But I thought that was a really good sign where where Drew Aller didn't let maybe the potential emotions uh, and, and the mental pressure of that situation build up on him when that game was getting dicey. Thought he responded well responded under control, even though it wasn't a lot of points, a fireworks kind of day. Uh, I, I like that result. But I think the big question that we all have, and, and, and Mark, Daniel, and I spent some time on the podcast, uh, post-game podcast, discussing this – Is that receiver? You know, what happens next? You've got Tyler Warren developing momentum at tight end. We all know Theo Johnson could break out with a big game at any given time. Now, Keandre Lambert-Smith has been your lead guy at receiver. I think we got a feel for just how valuable Harrison Wallace might be when he was off the field. He traveled to Illinois. He warmed up with the team. He did not go. You also were without Malik Mega. uh, So that impacts you to some extent a ton of work for Malik McLean, as you said had some struggles bringing the football in early some miscommunication it appeared early as well uh, and then you had other guys getting involved Liam Clifford dante's um caden Saunders I thought flashed with relatively low snap count um uh, but we're still working our way through this thing Omari Evans you know didn't have didn't have any kind of noisy day uh, you know he he was on the field again uh we got a lot of names, still, and I'm not sure we know exactly where the f- top four or five that you can lean on uh, when you get into the fourth quarter against uh, the Ohio States and Michigans of the world, which once again, we just keep coming back to. When you measure up any team or any component of this Penn State offense or defense, you keep saying, well, how does it stack up against the best of the best you're going to face if you want to get to that Big Ten championship game?
1: I would say right now the biggest issue at receiver they gotta get KeAndre Lambert Smith his head on his shoulders. I mean, that that uh, personal foul, that's the kind of thing that can lose you a game. I mean, it really could. That guy is a, he is going to be an NFL receiver. I think we're seeing how good he is. Okay. And and maybe it's me nitpicking, but I'm just telling you, you saw what happened in the course of that game. That took a third and two to a third and seventeen. And now all of a sudden you, you end up getting a field goal blocked. And you're up 13 nothing, and a team that was dead in the water marches right down the field. In the end, did it matter? Not in that game. But he that guy is too good. He's too good. He has too much talent to, to, to let that sort of thing get the best of him. So we can talk about everything with the receivers. He needs to be the guy. Like, he needs to be the guy that's solid and consistent, and he is that, but he's got to keep his emotions in check. Now, Now let's get to the other receivers. Ah, uh, Malik McLean had an opportunity, and you know it, he he didn't come through. You, you hate to be overly critical of college players, but I don't know how many of those those chances you're going to get to start a game. You know, and, and when you get it, you really have to come through. So hopefully, he's able to put that in the rearview mirror and, and rebound from it. Uh, I really liked what I saw from Caden Saunders. I mean, he is he to me, fielding punts. So we were talking about you know, that he was doing just a great job catching the punt. And I don't think that's the easiest thing to do. And now we started to see him show a little bit of that wiggle, a little bit of that escapability and do some things there. And then they worked him into the passing game. And I think he's going to be a guy that we see more and more and more of. And I also like the fact that when Malik McClain struggled, Uh, We saw more of Cephas at that outside position. That's maybe not the most natural position, but why do I like that? Because Cephas is a guy who can play multiple spots. And if you have that kind of Swiss Army knife that if you need him in a slot, he's going to go there and do some things. If you need him outside, he's going to go there and do some things. So those are the guys that I'm really keeping an eye on. What I liked a lot about this game, though, is that they started to really work the running backs into the passing game. And, yes, it, you know, one of them is a short dink uh, to, to Singleton that that he turns into a, a longer game. But at the end of the day, he ends up being your leading receiver yardage-wise. And then they came this close to having a little, you know, uh, excellent touch pass from Aller uh, going to Catron Allen for a touchdown. I think that would have been a really good catch for a running back to make. Uh, and I think maybe as the season goes on, maybe Catron makes that. But to be able to work those guys in, and as you mentioned, the tight ends they're starting to work in, I think all that stuff is going to take care of itself. But I just think – I'll go back to what I said. I think a guy like Keandre, Keandre Lambert-Smith, he's a leader on this team. He's the leader in that room. And you need your leader to set the right example. What I did like is when Aller missed him, you didn't see anything. You you didn't see him uh, – you didn't see negativity out of him. He just, you know, he, he, he ran a deep route. He was open. The ball didn't get to him, and he just ran around and uh, went to the sideline to get a little bit of a break because he ran a deep route. So that part of it I really liked. But the shoving and the yelling and stuff, he's, he's got to get rid of that.
0: Um, I know that's something that James Franklin uh, vowed that they would get cleaned up this week. Obviously not something you want popping up when a game is really hanging in the balance. And at that point, the Lambert Smith penalty, it felt like it could have been a moment you point back to and said, that is the moment when I think started to unravel for Penn state. They were able to kind of nip that in the bud and never got to that point, but you've felt that narrative starting to brew. Uh, Tyler Calvaruso is waiting in the wings. He's going to take over in just a second to talk about recruiting, but uh, Daniel, I I do want to focus on just a little bit more offensively um, and, I guess this is morally really also attached to, to just some questions we have uh, moving forward. Um, what do you think about the passing game and, and, and the momentum that that guys are looking to establish because it's, it's Keandre Lambert Smith has been consistent. Harrison Wallace had that start 10 catches through two games. And then all of a sudden, poof, he's, he's not available. We'll see what his, his status looks like on the practice field Wednesday. But I was surprised to see just now that you go work your way through the receiver room. Dante Cephas is next up. Him and Malik McLean both have 71 receiving yards. And we just haven't seen the tight end room burst in a way that we thought and we know they're capable of doing. So if you kind of had to say, where is that momentum most likely to be found as Drew Aller navigates this kind of cluster of targets and talent? who's your money on right now coming through the three game sample size? I know that I'm not, uh, we're not going to hold you to it, but I'm just curious where you see the, where you see the trends.
3: I mean, I think we're probably due for a Theo Johnson breakout at some point. Uh, He came close. uh, I think on one of, there's one play where if, if Aller hits him, it might be a touchdown. Um, But I thought that Tyler Warren looked really good. Um, You know, these past two weeks, you know, he's looked really good. We know that, for most of last season he was dealing with something that maybe limited him a little bit um, but I thought that he's just looked very very solid these past two weeks and he's been kind of a good security blanket for for Drew Aller uh, on some of these plays you know speaking of a security blanket I, I think that that's kind of where what Penn State was missing with without Trey Wallace on on Saturday which you know I think after that Opener, I you know I made the comment that it was a Parker Washington type stat line, and you know we saw Parker Washington as kind of that guy that Sean Clifford, you know everyone's covered. You know, he's going to look for Washington underneath. Maybe he makes something happen. It's a role that I don't think we expected to see Trey Wallace in, based on you know, what we'd heard about him and the, the book on him athletically. Um, you know, so I think that maybe you know we're learning about his impact and his role in this offense a little bit more. Um, but I think Cephas is in a good, I think Cephas and Saunders, um, and I guess Liam Clifford too, even though Clifford started and been the top slot, I think that those three guys are really in a good position to, you know, move forward, you know, and maybe move up a little bit, you know, Clifford, we saw him make just a great catch on that deep ball. Um, you know, he's someone that it seems like Penn state has a lot of respect for, uh, you know, the coaching staff and that his teammates have a lot of respect for him too. And he's someone that will probably do everything right while he's out there. But like Mark said, you know, Caden Saunders has a little bit of wiggle out there. Um, I think that he's someone that by getting him those reps, catching those punts, I think that the comfort there can translate over um, to wide receiver. Uh, And then Cephas, I think that, you know, he wasn't here in the spring. He really had to dive in this fall. And I think that maybe he's going to start to get a little bit more comfortable. You know, I do think that he's someone that Aller hasn't been afraid to look to you know uh, over these first couple of weeks so I think the more action that Cephas gets the more you can get him up to that big 10 speed uh, you know coming up from the Mac I think that that really bodes well for him but yeah I, I think that at some point yeah, you know, I predicted it in my bold predictions <laughs> that we were going to see the big hour game uh, this weekend uh, which we did not see but I think that that's still something that that is brewing I think that guys like Theo Johnson you know maybe someone like Harrison Wallace um, maybe you know even Liam Clifford could have a big stat line make some plays and, and really get this offense going but you know on the other hand Penn State hasn't really needed that yet and I think that that's a really good sign too when you talk about balance when you talk about having a well rounded team you know and being able to play deep into this year
0: and deep into games we just haven't needed to throw the ball and in, and in, in pressure pack situations Drew Aller has two pass completions in the fourth quarter of games this year and that's not because he's been bad in the fourth quarter it's because he hasn't thrown the ball really in the fourth quarter so that's a part of this team and a part of this game that when you need to throw the football whether you're trying to play catch up or you're going against the clock we've seen it in some two minute work late in the half but that's something that we'll see more of as these games get tighter mark let's finish with special teams where are we through three games i mean alex falcon's feels like he's made his, his case in the last couple games uh, the block i know that that he took uh, part of the blame from that with daniel which is good to hear the accountability um but at the end of the day Sanders the aside from one extra point hasn't resurfaced from his you know second half time out in the season opener and meanwhile another scholarship investment that you had coming out of high school Alex Baketta isn't on the travel roster and this is the guy that we projected as the number 3 punter based on the conversations that we've had and some and some practice observations but these are very very valuable scholarship spots and look we don't we, I, I don't want to pretend to know if Alex Paquetta may be dealing with something injury related but but based on what we heard going into the season this is kind of where he was stacking up against the other punters Gabe Nawasu uh, who's kickoff specialist is the number two punter Riley Thompson who's coming from Florida Atlantic has been the starting punter but I think there's been something left to be desired in that role as well.
1: yeah I mean I think it also points out that when you're Penn State, you know, you're going to have the luxury of recruiting over these players. Well, it's not even a luxury; it's a necessity now, right? Because imagine had they not gone out and gotten those players, uh, who you know, for whatever reason, the, the the transfers have beaten out the scholarship guys. And I, I, I think we know this coaching staff well enough. We're not we're not in practice, but they the, these guys they're not playing favorites or anything. They're seeing who's doing the best job, and that's who they're going with. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, what kind of pressure does that put on some of the young scholarship guys? You know, I I guess that's something that they have to kind of process uh, themselves uh, internally. Uh, With respect to Falcons, I don't think he's done anything to lose the job. You know, I think you could you you can question why they would go for a 52 yarder there. And the more I thought about it, you know, the more maybe the coaching staff felt pretty good about where they were in that game. And that there will be a game when you're going to need one of those late, and is that kid going to be up for it? And you know, it just seemed like a a low a low kick. And uh, but otherwise, I think he he he's done fine. Uh, you know, the punting game, one of those was deflected, so that was another thing that kind of that kind of you know you look at, and you know, these are the kind of things that that really can't happen yeah. if you're in a tight game. You know, these these little things. So I think overall on special teams. Stacey Collins has to get a lot of this stuff buttoned up. You know, you've been fortunate enough that it's not had a major impact on you yet. I will say, and I touched on it before, they start to pick up those hidden yards in the return game. And and I really like that because that's not always an easy thing to do in the Big Ten where teams have learned how to directional kick, and most of the kickoff specialists, you know, you you may not get an opportunity because, like Gabe, they're going to blast it into the end zone. But when you get those chances, I liked what I saw from Singleton. And I'm just, I, I'll tell you what, I know that a couple weeks ago, I what my bold prediction was that Caden Saunders was going to break uh, a, a punt for a, a re, punt return for a TD, and he didn't do it. But I think that guy's been rock solid back there. I think he's been as good as they've had in a while. And I like the fact that, okay, he's got the basic part down, catching it, which is I'm – t- I'm just telling you, folks, it's not easy. I tried to catch one out on the field uh, with nobody out there one time and made a complete idiot of myself. That's a pretty low bar to measure m- be measured against. But what he's doing with people right in his face, that's impressive. But then to be able to break a few of those – and listen, you don't have to break them long. Even if you get 9, 10, 15 yards, whatever you're able to get, those are the hidden yards that are – Going to come back and and just mean big things for you in the course of tight games.
0: Yeah, I've been with the program that had a first time punt returner get a couple chances in a conference matchup and he fumbled both of them and cost the team a possession deep in territory. One of those, if you make a good point though, the opposing special teams players getting their ball on not one kick of yours, but two kicks of yours over the course of this game on the road in the Big Ten where your offense isn't really able to find that balance or able to find those explosive plays it's fortunate and when you think about all that that this defense did what it did against the fighting Illini on Saturday to come away where you're actually pulling Drew Aller early in the fourth quarter and and, and getting him over to the sideline fellas appreciate the coverage uh Daniel will have a, a rewind look over at uh Illinois matchup one final uh kind of workway through that one uh Daniel Look forward to that read. We'll be back with you on Tuesday coming out of James Franklin's press conference. We'll also have more on this Iowa matchup from the Hawkeyes perspective. Talk to you both soon. Yep. Thanks Thanks, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24 seven podcast.
1: The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.
0: All right, let's jump into it with Tyler Calvaruso, now, our resident recruiting expert to break down what's happening with this whiteout guest list as we get a little closer to the 7.30 Saturday night kickoff. But first and foremost, how are you doing, Tyler? You were on the road this weekend. We're going to get into that in a second, but uh, I hope you had fun out there.
2: Oh, I definitely did, man. I'm doing great. I mean, we got a busy week ahead of us, so can't ask for anything more.
0: We had two of the premier high school programs in the entire region, really the entire United States going uh, toe to toe on Friday night. Don Bosco Prep, a perennial powerhouse out of North Jersey. And then you have St. Joe's Prep in Philadelphia, uh, obviously a a place where Penn State would love to hammer with recruits every single year. It's been a bit of an uphill battle for them in recent years, but we got a lot of names to cover in that matchup. Generally speaking, St. Joe's handled its business. They won pretty convincingly.
2: They did. And, I mean, it could have been. It was 28-7 final score. St. Joe's, it wasn't its best performance. And head coach Tom Monge, he, had, uh, he let them know after the game. You know, there were a bunch of turnovers. There was a lot of sloppy play. So it could have been a lot wider of a margin final score-wise, but it was clear who the better team was. And, you know, I mean, Don Bosco's just young. This year, you know, it's one of those years where they're a little bit younger and St. Joe's is loaded on both sides of the ball. And fortunately, you know, I got the chance to see multiple Penn State targets on both for both programs. You know, Don Bosco has Marquette Dorsey in the secondary. He had a couple of nice plays and coverage throughout the night. And, you know, St. Joe's kind of stayed away from him. And I think that's the right call. Given the kind of player Dorsey is, he was getting the job done in coverage. And then on the St. Joe's side, man, I mean, it's kind of just like a laundry list. You got top 24-7 line defensive lineman, Maxwell Roy. You've got Anthony Saka, the top 24-7 linebacker in Penn State Legacy. You got Cam Smith, another top 24-7 linebacker in his first season at St. Joe's Prep after transferring from Salem High in South Jersey. You got running back Isaiah West, who's a 2025 prospect, and he's going to be at the whiteout this weekend. Khalil Stewart made the move over from Roman Catholic to St. Joe's. For his junior season, and he looked good against Don Bosco's defensive front, which features Georgia commit Jordan Thomas. So there was some beef in that trenches, and Stewart was holding its own. So it was it was a good matchup to get out and see, and you know we gained a lot of insight into where some recruitments are trending as well, specifically on the St. Joe's prep side.
0: Yeah, not only did you get a chance to get eyes on these really fantastic prospects, but you got a chance to, to discuss and get some ears on the situation uh, with where their recruitments are heading. And, and with St. Joe's, you always know what you're going to get going to cover one of their games, a, a litany of power, five prospects. Uh, I, I know the first time I covered them, I was thinking about this the other night on Thursday night because he was running wild for in Philadelphia again with the Eagles. But DeAndre Swift was the yeah. biggest show in town with, with St. Joe's Prep. One of the first times I went there. This time you you could make a case for a few guys, but let's start with Maxwell Roy, uh, one of the premier 2025 linemen on either side of the football in the state of Pennsylvania, a guy that we got a chance to see in State College uh, uh, this summer during that Elite 11 showcase that also had an auxiliary uh, camp going on with some positional prospects. Where does he stand with Penn State? Because this is one where you think, okay, Deion Barnes, defensive line coach, Philly guy, you know he's going to be front and center in this entire conversation.
2: See, before I get into Maxwell Roy real quick, I just want to bring up one quick thing because you mentioned DeAndre Swift. His dad was actually on the sidelines with St. Joe's Prep on Friday. You can't miss <laughs> his
0: dad. You can't miss DeAndre Swift's <laughs> yeah. dad. I mean, is he still, is he still the biggest guy oh, on the sidelines? Oh, yeah, man. He, okay. he, he's awesome. I got the
2: chance <laughs> to catch up with him for a few, and that's one proud father right there. But <laughs> going back to Maxwell Roy, the big thing with him is he's going to be at the whiteout this weekend, and that's the only visit that he has locked in right now. Really, mainly his process. He's trying to focus on, you know, what feels right for him and his family, how they feel coming out of these St. Joe's prep games. That's kind of going to dictate which campuses he gets to moving forward, but St. Joe's prep doesn't have a game this week. It has a bye week, so Roy is getting the chance to hit the road for the first time in a while, and Penn State is going to be his destination. Now, I think this recruitment is kind of interesting in the sense that Roy, despite being a high-caliber prospect, he hasn't been a ton of places yet. His recruitment has kind of been more of the slow-developing variety. So I want to see how things play out once he gets on the road a little bit more and makes visits beyond Penn State because he's been – he, led, he was last in town in May. This is going to be another visit for him. I want to see what happens when he gets on the road, checks out some of the other Big Ten programs involved in his recruitment. There's a lot of Big Ten suitors from Maxwell Roy. SEC involvement as well. He was telling me is starting to sniff around, so that's obviously something to keep a pretty close eye on. So I think Penn State has helped itself with Roy. I think they've put in a lot of good work with him early. I think he's comfortable with the staff. It also helps in the that they have Gabe Infante, who used to be the head coach of St. Joe's Prep. There's still a connection there, and those guys – Part of that program. They feel the connection with Infante. That was something he mentioned to me. So that works in Penn State's favor. So I think Penn State has done all it really can with Roy so far. Again, want to see what happens when he hits the road for other visits. But I also want to see what happens coming out of this whiteout visit. Because he's really excited about getting in this atmosphere. Oh, my God, I can't talk. This atmosphere. Not only as a Penn State you know recruit, but as a college football fan. He was telling me that this whiteout atmosphere is something that he's really, really looking forward to taking in in person.
0: Well, when St. Joe's Prep has a weekend off, there's a lot of schools saying, hey, this is your chance. Yeah. Come see us. So this is a big deal. Uh, Georgia has offered, you mentioned Alabama, you know, mounting interest from them, Michigan, Ohio State, Southern Cal. Uh, all of those programs on that list for Maxwell Roy. So it, it says a lot about where he is. He's the number 10 defensive lineman in 2025 rankings at 24-7 sports. Uh, naturally, if you go every level of this defense, you're going to find players. Let's go to the linebacker unit, and it's a familiar name for Penn State fans. Anthony Saka, uh, really impressive product. Uh, Number 23 overall at the linebacker spot in our rankings at 24-7 Sports. A top 200 overall prospect. Uh, And yet he keeps staying away from Happy Valley. We talked about the connections, the family ties. We didn't see him around this summer uh, when we saw a lot of other players coming through. We did see him a couple summers ago. I remember working the camp circuit. Um, Can you explain kind of where things are based on what you had the the chance to to converse on on Friday night?
2: Yeah, and before diving into his recruitment, this is my first chance getting the – opportunity to see him play and man I was really really impressed I mean his athleticism is there but I think what really stands out about Anthony Saka is his football IQ and his instincts I mean he was snuffing out plays basically at the line and he was ahead of the curve he was the, all over the place during the first half he had a lot of tackles man He was going sideline to sideline so I was really impressed and you know the recruitment it's, it's in an interesting spot because yeah he hasn't been back Penn State in a little while and he doesn't really have any hard plans to make it back this fall. So he's going to be at Notre Dame this weekend He's going to be out in South Bend for the Notre Dame Ohio State game. That is a matchup he has had his eye on for a while. And Notre Dame is in a pretty good spot with Sock. I mean, Al Golden being on Marcus Freeman's staff, those two have a really good relationship. Sokka's father and Al Golden were close in college. So that goes back decades and there's a lot of comfort there. He trusts Marcus Freeman. He just really likes Notre Dame's defensive coaching staff. So I think that's a pretty big element in this recruitment. Wisconsin is another program that he's given a look. Some of that is a St. Joe's prep teammate, Emilio Agard, being committed to the Badger. So he's looking at making it out to Madison the next time Agard makes that trip, but You know, new staff is basically what he was telling me. He wants to give those guys a chance. You know, he feels that they've done well enough in his recruitment to warrant that kind of in-person consideration. So now Penn State fans are hearing all this, and I didn't even mention when he might be making it back to campus. So don't be too concerned, because he's looking at doing it in the winter. And he told me that during the stretch run of his recruitment, when he sits down and he formulates his official visit schedule, Penn State is going to get one. So... Yes. I understand that. You know, the staff hasn't gotten a ton of face time with him recently and he hasn't been in state college. He hasn't been around the program and, you know, the programs commits and just in the atmosphere of the program. But he reaffirmed to me that Penn State is in a good spot in his recruitment. And, you know, the contact is there. The comfort with the staff is there. And he's going to be back. It's really just a matter of when. It's probably not going to happen this fall, but in the winter is what he's looking at. And Michigan is another program that he's looking to check out in the winter as well. So, Excuse me, we gained a lot of insight into where Anthony Saka's recruitment is at right now, which was probably one of the highlights of the night for me.
0: Well, all that is great and it's good insight, but I don't think it's going to give a lot of our listeners who it's wear not. the Penn State hat and you know, warm and fuzzies about where his recruitment stands. He is the number five prospect in the state of Pennsylvania by a 24-7 sports assessment. As I said, Maxwell Roy, a teammate of his, is number two on that list. Cameron Smith is number three on the list. He, he was previously playing in South Jersey, uh, a four-star linebacker. Now he made the move to St. Joe's prep. Is he out there? Is he involved and, and how is that looking so far?
2: And he was looking pretty good out there. You know, kind of, I saw a lot of the athleticism that has been talked up with Cam Smith. You could definitely see that athletically the profile is there and he belongs as a top 24-7 prospect. He definitely showed that to me. Recruitment-wise, no visits planned right now. He was talking to me a lot about Penn State, though, and really his affinity for Manny Diaz and the scheme that Penn State runs defensively. And he really appreciates all of his uh, communication with the Penn State coaching staff He's really just, you know, we hear from them. They wish him luck on his games, But he really appreciates that they just encourage him to be who he is as a player, you know, trust his instincts, use his athleticism to his advantage. He carries that with him out onto the field on Friday night. So that's something that he has appreciated. Uh, Rutgers is the other program that he mentioned to me is probably the most involved right now. You know, the New Jersey native, they're trying to get him back to the garden state to play his ball. Michigan is involved as well, but it seems like right now it's Penn state and Rutgers kind of standing out the most. I think Michigan is definitely firmly in that race as well, but no visits coming up. I, you know, he's working through that. He's again, this seems to be a theme with the St. Joe's prep players. You know, their schedules are pretty hectic. They play a lot of Saturday games. So they're kind of trying to figure out when they could fit these visits in. He's not going to be anywhere this weekend, but I'd expect him back out on the road sooner rather than later And Penn State is in line to get another visit at some point, whether that be later in the fall or possibly even this winter. But he's definitely planning on being back in town. And another guy on St. George Prep, who I was impressed with,
0: yeah, three defenders right there, all of them just juniors, all of them considered top five prospects in the state of Pennsylvania for that 2025 cycle. Before we shift gears and start looking at that whiteout guest list a little bit more, uh, one other name I wanted to pick your brain on at St. Joe's Prep because he's one of my favorites and I, I would say probably one of our favorites generally at Lines 24 7 on the summer camp scene here in Happy Valley uh, was Alexander Haskell, mm-hmm. uh, a guy that just brought a tremendous motor and you could see the skills developing uh, just his camp by camp when we got him here in the summer you already knew Well, he was an impact freshman for a team like st joe's prep he's going to be a big time player by the time he started that that sophomore season penn state had offered him so of other power five schools what stood out in your live evaluation i, I saw from you a, a tweet uh, or i guess we're calling them an x of <laughs> him picking up a sack so i guess he did make some noise out there in a big time
2: matchup he did. He was applying pressure. That was a pretty big sack. That came on a fourth down after a uh, St. Joe's prep turnover. Don Bosco was driving a little bit. They got into a, a situation where they had to go for it on fourth, and Haskell got to Don Bosco quarterback Devin Sisler and forced a turnover on downs with a pretty solid sack. He looked good getting after the passer. You know, St. Joseph runs a lot of 3-4, so sometimes he's not on the field. But when they go multiple and they run that 4-3, and they put his, tell him to put his hand in the dirt and get after the quarterback, He's pretty good. I mean, think about it. You know, and this was something that stood out to us about him when he was still a freshman, not even a sophomore, that physically, I mean, the way he tests and just the way he's built and so young and so early in his high school career, it's really impressive, and I think there's a high ceiling there. But I liked his pass rush ability. I think that he's not just – I think he's still, you know, learning some finesse moves and trying to kind of outsmart opposing tackles. But physically, he's where he needs to be. That was the main thing that stood out to me getting his, my eyes on him in person and pads for the first time. His size is legit, man. And he uses his strength to his advantage. You know, when he gets engaged with the tackle and he's got to, you know, kind of put his head down and fight through a block, he's got the strength to do so. And he did it multiple times on Friday night.
0: Well, We saw in the summer, six, three and growing 230 pounds and growing. But what I liked about him was just that bend at this size and it. the addition and, and that length. I mean, he was able to really, in some of that drill work, use that length to his advantage, the leverage, and and you just don't necessarily see those traits popping up for a guy who's got one year of high school ball under his belt. Of course, when that one year of high school ball is you being a depth piece for yeah. a team like St. Joe's Prep, that's a pretty good experience. Great stuff from there. I know you'll probably have more on some of these guys oh, over yeah. at lines247.com. You've already had uh, some content coming to the site. Uh, um, Maxwell Roy was our a nice appetizer on Saturday morning, the update there before we got into our game coverage. So good stuff from you getting out there. I know you'll be in other high school fields all fall long. Let's dive into this whiteout guest list, which is growing by the moment, it seems. I know Brian Doan contributing with another top 100 confirmation. And let's begin with, with that name uh, because it's a familiar one for Penn State. And this is a spot where – safety Anthony Poindexter has been able to pluck a lot of talent
2: familiar one for Penn State and a really familiar one for our listeners at this point with how often his name has popped up in the last month alone Kenoa Winston the cousin of KJ Winston he's going to be back for the whiteout he was in town for the season opener against West Virginia Really loved that visit. It was his first game visit. Loved the atmosphere. Loved getting back around the staff and, you know, just kind of hearing what they have to say. It's been a consistent message to him. You know, we want you here, and, you know, this is the place we think that you need to be. So the fact that he's making it again, it's pretty telling. I think I said that actually coming out of his West Virginia visit, that he didn't have any visits planned at that time, but if he did make it back to Penn State for the whiteout or even for another visit later on in the fall, it was kind of indicative of where his mind is at. And now it's coming to fruition. He was at Rutgers over the weekend. I think that visit went pretty well, reading some of the feedback when he caught up with Brian Thone, But I think the Scarlet Knights are on his radar to some degree as well. And I mean, he's a top 100 prospect who's got a lot of intriguing offers and there's a lot of interest beyond the region as well. But it seems like Penn State is catching his eye the most right now. I think the Nittany Lions are going to have another opportunity to continue solidifying itself on his list Coming out of the whiteout, I mean, really, you know, if he loved the West Virginia atmosphere, I think he's going to love this whiteout atmosphere. And I think that's a big selling point for him.
0: And- Game by game, his cousin KJ really solidifying his status as as a marquee member of this defensive backfield, which is an impressive unit that he in year two has risen toward the top of. Uh, Winston, by the way, Kanoa Winston, uh, number 93 overall in the rankings for 2025 class at 24-7 sports, the number eight safety uh, at Gonzaga, which is a big-time prep program in Washington, D.C. Someone making the long-distance trip that we've talked about before, and this will be his second visit in a pretty short span, is Dylan battle a 2025 defensive lineman out of texas he was up here for the lash bash thought it went well enough to start coordinating the next trip so he's getting the whiteout i mean we're talking about a kid in texas by the time he's a month or a half a month or half into that that junior season he'll already had that lashback experience under his belt and the whiteout experience and i think you'll have a pretty good vibe for where you stand with dylan battle long term coming off of this
2: yeah, and this was actually an interest or there was an interesting visit that popped up to me when you locked it down with that confirmation with that he was going to be making it to, to campus because that July Lash Bash visit, you know, Dion Barnes, when he was down in Texas during the spring, that's when he issued that offer to Dylan Battle. And, you know, that Lash Bash visit was kind of his intro- real introduction to Penn State, you know, getting around the staff. It was also Penn State's real introduction to him, you know, getting more comfortable with him. So that was one of those visits where it was a lot of the two sides, you know, feeling each other out, kind of you know, trying to establish where the interest is and how both sides mesh and they did mesh and he's going to be making it back for this whiteout, which was something that he had circled coming out of the last bash visit mainly because again, you know, we're going to harp on the atmosphere a lot this week. And I, I know it's a huge talking point about the whiteout every single year, but the fact of the matter is a lot of these kids, especially the ones who aren't from the region, right? Because when Penn state gets involved with a kid from Texas or just really anywhere in the Midwest and they're not from the Northeast and they don't have easy access to State College, if they want to visit Penn State, they kind of circle this whiteout because they hear about all the hype with the whiteout and the, the atmosphere inside Beaver Stadium and everything that comes along with a whiteout visit experience. And a lot of guys, if they're really high on the netting lines and they want to get to campus, this is the time to do it. So Battle is one of the many non-region guys making it back. And I think you know if all goes well, I think Penn State will be solidified as one of the top contenders in his recruitment moving forward. I know the staff has it. It's eye on his junior season film. They're trying to, you know, see how things play out for him, but all encouraging on that front so far and battle will be in town. So he's looking to have a good visit and he's looking to get more comfortable with the staff in the time that he gets with them while he's in town.
0: Another player from outside of Pennsylvania, but not not quite as far away. I'll go down to Virginia for a four-star linebacker, a top 24-7 prospect out of Culpeper, Virginia, and Brett Clatterbraw. This guy, I mean, he's got all the size that you're looking for. He really is impressed, I think, and, and I certainly would fit the mold, in my opinion, of what Manny Diaz is seeking for in a box linebacker.
2: I definitely agree with that assessment. I mean, you throw on his tape and you kind of see one of the things that jumps out to is, oh, wow, this is a guy who probably do pretty well in a Manny Diaz defense, that kind of defense where, you know, he can move, he's athletic, he can drop in coverage, And he plays with some ferocity, man. That kid attacks, and he hits hard. He's a really good player. And, you know, I talk about Dylan Battle kind of having his eye on that whiteout visit since July. I mean, I think Clutterball has been talking about visiting for the whiteout since, what, May, June? You know, we've known about this one for a while, and he's going to be making it back for the first time in a little bit. You know, his offer from the Nittany Lions came after a standout camp performance last summer. So that's when he really jumped onto the staff's radar. And now he is firmly entrenched on the power five radar with multiple opportunities. He's one of those 2025 backers who, you know, he's, a little bit higher on the board, that's for sure. There are a lot of intriguing names on that 2025 linebacker board. We've talked about plenty on this show alone with the St. Joe's Prep kids. I mean, is another regional prospect that Manny Diaz and the staff are giving a really long look. So he'll be back, and again, another opportunity for a recruit who was already pretty interested in the knee lines to get more comfortable with the staff and, you know, again, wants to get in that whiteout atmosphere.
0: Uh, one more 2025 name to get to. And when it's a quarterback, you're, you're always a little bit more intrigued. And Malik Washington has been up to camp. Uh, he was at the Elite 11 uh, camp event also that took place uh, at State College. And um, he's going to get more familiar with this program now by making uh, his latest trip up to uh, to campus. What do we make of Malik Washington and his status on this 2025 quarterback board Clearly, he's someone who's within your regional wheelhouse, but this is a team that likes to recruit that position coast-to-coast when they can.
2: You know, as this week goes on and we kind of get beyond just the list itself and we start diving into each recruit and, you know, the level of interest those recruits have in Penn State and how high they are on Penn State's board, Malik Washington is going to be a name that we keep coming back to because at this point in the cycle, he is one of, if not the, top quarterback target. Penn State, and you're kind of starting to see his recruitment pick up a little bit. You know, as a sophomore at Archbishop Spalding, he was his first year as a starter. He was kind of more focused on getting settled in than he was making a lot of visits. But you know, he was at Maryland over the weekend. Now he's going to be at Penn State, so you're starting to see things pick up a little bit for him. His process is starting to heat up. This is a big visit for Penn State. You know, Washington has been around. You know, he got the offer from a camp performance. He made it back to campus while he was in town for that Elite 11 regional in May. So he's garnered, you know, some familiarity with the staff at this point. They're definitely really, really excited to get him back on campus. And look, this as this 2025 quarterback board plays out, Washington is going to be a name that remains very, very close to the top. He's got the, you know, we kind of talk about, Mike Gertz is going after quarterbacks who are maybe a little bit more refined than Washington is at this point in his development, but his athletic profile is elite. I mean, you guys saw it last summer when he camped, and you guys got to see him test. I mean, athletically, he's one of the better athletes at quarterback in the 2025 class, in my opinion. I think definitely, you know, I got the chance to see him in his first career start. Last season at Don Bosco, and I think he has come a long way mechanically since then. It seems like he has cleaned up a lot of, you know, some of the the lagging arm action. I, I think that he's definitely a lot more refined of a passer. I think as a sophomore, he was more of an athlete still, you know, getting comfortable as a pocket passer, and now you're seeing a lot of good things out of him on tape, and he's still using his legs to make plays, still taking advantage of that high-end athleticism to get the job done for Archbishop Spalding. So he's definitely a big, big visitor of, uh, on a list that featured a lot of important names. There might not be many that are more important than Malik Washington right now. And
0: he's got a pretty serious background as well, play, playing high-level AAU circuit yeah. basketball. Um, and you, you can kind of see that projected when, when he gets out there and maneuvers. But when we saw him uh, you know, kind of be asked to be a passer, you're right. It was kind of an elongated throwing motion that we saw last summer. It looked better uh, coming into to his junior season based on what we saw from the camp stuff. And haven't had a chance to dig into to his junior film yet from Archbishop Smalding, like Smalding at Maryland. But, yeah, I mean, the prospect profile athletically really lines up and he seems to be a passer moving in the right direction. Uh, that's a good combination. Penn State will get a closer look at him on Saturday, and vice versa as as Drew Aller makes his fourth career start and his first one in a whiteout showcase. Uh, last name to get to, and let's let's take it down to the 2026 class, and we're doing that for a good reason. Player who uh, is among the names to know nationally in the 2026 cycle, Kendra Harrison out of Reedsville in North Carolina. We're talking about a six foot seven. 235 pound sophomore, rated number one among tight ends and the number five overall prospect in the class. I think he's labeled as an athlete right now. I think that's probably the safe way to go. I understand why we have the tight end application, but use your imagination when you just, you know, you're using a six foot seven, two hundred and thirty five pound frame with three seasons of high school football ahead of him.
2: Yeah. Let me just reiterate that. Six, seven, 235 <laughs> as a sophomore, and he's the number five player in the nation. I mean, that's kind of all you need to know about this kid. He can do a lot of different things out there, man. Yeah, we got him listed as tight end right now. He's got that athlete distinction on his profile. A lot of programs are giving him first look at tight end. Well, by the way, can man. I can I do that? Can I add yeah. one more
0: thing? As a freshman last year, and, and they like basketball down in North Carolina. That that school won a state championship game. He averaged 25 points and 15 rebounds as a freshman. Uh he's and he, he also reports tandem offers, so he's being recruited as a basketball player and a football player by Florida state and Texas A&M and wake forest uh, schools that want him just for football include uh, Alabama and coach primes, Colorado, Buffalo's, uh, Florida, Michigan, Ohio state. And I lay all that out there just to set you up because this fella could be in any stadium across America on Saturday and You're getting him a very, very early glimpse into the whiteout. And you never know for wherever this recruitment's going to go down the road, he's going to have this experience in his back pocket.
2: He is. And when he caught up with Brian Doan to kind of dive into the early stages of his his recruitment, he kind of laid out the whiteout as one of those can't miss experiences. He was saying once that Penn State offer rolled in, he was like, man, I knew I got to get up to the whiteout. And that's what he's going to be doing this weekend. So not a whole lot of intel to share on his recruitment just because it's so early. But, I mean, man, I encourage our listeners to go check out his profile. And don't just stop there. Go on his huddle. Check out some of his film and check out some of his basketball highlights too because, man, this kid is one of the more dynamic overall athletes in that class. And I don't just mean that from a football standpoint. I mean, his athleticism in general. I mean, he is – you know, you hate to throw the word around because he gets thrown around pretty often these days. But, I mean, he's a freak athlete. He is. And I'm really excited to see where his development as a football player goes. You know what side of the ball he sticks on. He he could do it ball on both ends, man. He could play tight end. He could play D end. He's just I really like this kid's game. And I mean, he's I, one I, of the best players in the nation.
0: I don't know if we'll see him play college football. If I'm being yeah. I mean, if he's no, being if he's, I mean, being, if he's being recruited and he's being recruited at this level of, of basketball this early, and the way basketball is trending, in and, and how much money you can make immediately yes. out of high school. Uh, The amount of money you can accrue in those three years that you would otherwise be playing college football. I don't know. There's there's a lot to to delve into with Kendra Harrison, but he'll be in Happy Valley this Saturday if that plan sticks. And, And that's notable. And I'm glad we got to it here on the podcast. Hey, I mentioned it earlier, 30% off an annual subscription, $1 for one month. Again, in lines, 247.com. It's a great time to do it because we're just getting rolling on Whiteout Week. And from a recruiting standpoint, it's action-packed. We'll have a lot coming your way about this top 25 matchup, but don't set it to the side. It's part of the, the marquee uh, Whiteout uh, spectacle is what we get from the recruiting end. So Tyler, we'll keep following your coverage and Brian Doan and Steve Wolfong and Alan True and everybody who's going to weigh in, but good stuff on the pod today. We'll get back with you later on in the week to get another look towards the whiteout and its significant impact on Penn State.
2: Nice, man.
0: All right, talk to you soon. Uh, Great stuff from Tyler Calvaruso, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen. uh, Went over an hour today on a Monday coming out of game three. Another episode coming your way Tuesday. We'll start to really turn our attention towards this number seven Penn State versus number 24 Iowa Hawkeyes matchup. David Eichholt, who's been covering Iowa at a very high level for several years now, he's been on our podcast a few times. He'll make his return on Tuesday to give us a better look at 3 0 Iowa. And additionally, we will hear from James Franklin on Tuesday. We'll have a chance by the time we sit down to record to also speak with a couple different Nittany Lions players. We'll bring you what we're hearing from early Game 4 storylines. That and a lot more coming your way on the next episode of Lions 24-7 Podcast. In the meantime, find all of our coverage at lions247.com. Stepping aside for now, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks for always listening